uh, we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to continue on in 1 John, and uh, just going to uh, look at a small portion of that today. Um, I can tell you that as I studied for this, I learned a lot, and I hope that uh, what the Lord showed me will benefit you as well. Uh, we're going to start in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12. I know that we started, or that we ended with verse 12 last week, but it leads directly into what we're going to be talking about today. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God, in the love that God has for us. God is love, and whomever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's a lot about abiding in that portion there. But uh, before we get to that portion, I want to uh, reemphasize the importance of the concept of agape love. We discussed it a little bit briefly last week, um, maybe not briefly, um, but it seemed to fly by. It was so fun. Um, the thing to take away about agape love is that it's not something that the human will can actually muster. Agape love is a goodwill and benevolence and a willful delight that you can't muster up by your own will. And we forget that a lot sometimes because we'll see people that, you know, serve others and, oh, well, they're doing good works. The difference is the heart behind the good works. There are plenty of atheistic billionaires that give billions of dollars because, frankly, it's no big deal for them to do it, number one. And then number two, it makes them feel good for a little while. It makes them feel like, well, I've accomplished something good. I did it. There you go. I'm doing all right. But agape love is sacrificial to a point that it's supernatural. You can't explain what it is that they're doing. See, the, the, because agape love is such a foreign concept to mankind, it can only be demonstrated by what it does. It takes a God kind of love to be able to love your enemies. That is not a natural human response. We're, to, we're called to love others with agape love, whether they're fellow believers or bitter enemies. And... It is not the pattern of the world to love your enemies in a sacrificial, unconditional way. And that's a really hard thing for us to do, especially for me. I know that it's much easier, and I'm more prone to adopt the position of hostility towards those who've wronged me and wronged my family. And... That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus calls us to do. It's so contradictory to everything that we've been taught naturally in this world. 
And frankly, it's not something that you can actually do in this world apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. See, agape love is not based on a feeling. Rather, it's, determined, it's a determined act of will, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others above ourselves. The Bible says that while we were still enemies of God, Jesus died for us on our behalf. It's hard to sometimes remember that we were once enemies of God. You know, um, there's a lot that's put forth that, you know, that we're all the children of God and, uh, you know, The the truth is we're all made in his image. Every single human being is in fact made in the image of God. Not all of them are his children. And agape love is something that is a distinguishing mark between the authentic Christian and the person playing church. It's the distincting difference between the people that, you know, that say they belong to Jesus and the ones that actually do. Because of our fallen nature, we're incapable of producing agape love. If we're to love as God loves, that love can only come from one source, the source. And this is the most important mark of the disciples of Jesus Christ. There are other signs and wonders that follow, but this is the most important of them all. Because, frankly, there are other cults and religions that can muster up things that look supernatural. There are other cults and religions where there are actual things that are mustered up by demonic forces to produce counterfeit miracles. The one thing they can't muster up is the self-sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated. That is part and parcel completely separate from anything that the world is going to put forth or any demonic force. Now, having established the fact that agape love is something that can't be produced aside from the, you know, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, we need to remember that it is very important for us to stay in the teaching of the apostles. Um, It says, uh, verse 13 again, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. That's verse 14. This agape love is the mark of the spirit. And those who testify and write of it, they're not like third-hand witnesses. They're not uh, people who came centuries later. The Bible is a sovereign work of God to hand down the testimony, the eyewitness testimony of those who walked with Jesus. 
I could get into the whole, uh, con like, there's, do the research. You'll see that there's actually more historical evidence for the accuracy of scripture than most of the things that we'll teach in Western universities as classical literature. There's more concurrence and more actual historical manuscript that proves the evidence that the scriptures have continued untainted than there is for things like Plato's Republic. This is one of the reasons why we always harp on the importance of reading your Bibles. Because the things that are put there, they're not just stories. They're not just third, second and third hand accounts. These were eyewitness accounts. When, the, when Luke went around interviewing people about Jesus on the earth, he went to people that actually saw firsthand people that walked with Jesus, people that talked with him, people that were close enough to smell him. These are eyewitness testimonies. And then you look at the epistles. These are, these are how the apostles continued after his ascension. These are important things to keep in mind. And the reason... For that is one of the marks of the early church was the fact that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. I don't think there's enough, I don't think that there's an underemphasis of the importance of the Bible, and I don't think that there's an underemphasis in the importance of confirming works, but I think that sometimes we tend to focus on one over the other at any given point. It, you know, what, what day of the week is it? You know, over here it's like, oh, we got the, you know, we got the signs and the wonders. Oh, we got the scriptures. Well, the thing is, the scriptures confirm the signs and wonders, and the signs and wonders confirm the scriptures. This brings me to my next point in the scripture. And this is the reason for the importance of the scripture. In verse 15, it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. What are they trying to convey there by confessing who Jesus is? This is one of those times where I went Bible nerd and went into the original language. And if uh, any of you guys haven't seen it, there's a website. It's called blueletterbible.com. You can actually open up any of the chapters in the Bible, and you can, you can read it word by word and look up what the uh, Greek word was with the New Testament or the Hebrew word was with the Old Testament. And the word that they use for confess is a uh, Greek word, homologeo. And the first part of the definition of that word caught me by surprise because I had never really thought of it this way when they're saying it. But it's to say the same thing as another, to agree with. To admit or to declare, to profess oneself the worshiper of. But I never thought of the fact that when they're saying that you're confessing Jesus is Lord, you're confessing that the same Jesus, the apostles, we're confessing was Lord.
the Jesus that we worship makes a profound difference because there are a lot of false Jesuses out there. And yes, where we harp a lot from the pulpit about false teaching, blah, 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 blah. Well, the apostles did it too because it's, it's all over the place. And we need to, like the apostles, take a, you know, make sure that we're worshiping the right Jesus. And they had the luxury of walking with him and talking with him and hearing his teaching directly. The good news is we do have the Holy Spirit to bear witness to these things and let us know when something's not really from him. The thing is we in, especially in Western culture, we tend to construct Jesus figures all the time that align with our preferences rather than what the scripture puts forth. And the reason why we harp on the importance of the scriptures because it's not just that we confess that Jesus is Lord, it's that we confess that the Jesus, the Christ of the Bible, is Lord. I've seen plenty of charlatans look into the camera uh, on their um, paid program advertisement and say, Jesus is Lord. But you know what? They're not serving the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that they're serving is a construct of their own greed and demonic deception. Some of the Jesuses that we construct for ourselves, this is one I used to go to early in my uh, Christendom, angry Jesus. This is a Jesus that's flipping over tables all the time, like he just walks around looking for heresy. <sighs> you know, oh look, there's a table. Yeah! <laughs> this is my father's house! <laughs> all the time, just wherever he went. Darn it, you Pharisees, your father's a devil! There are some people that love that Jesus because he's always angry and he's stomping and he's yelling and that's who they are because they're angry and they want their Jesus to be modeled after themselves. On the opposite side of that, you have feather-haired hippie Jesus. That's just like, oh man, everything's cool. Nah, bring the little children to me, man. Now I got this. Whoa, Pharisees, bro. Do you even like chill? <laughs> this is the Jesus that even when he's, you know, uh, speaking something with strength, they're like, you, you picture him, he's all like, hey, everybody. <laughs> Can't hear what he's saying. Oh, it's okay, don't worry. Morse caught and taught. <laughs> oh, then there's my, my, my personal uh, current favorite, because thank the Lord for dealing with my anger issues, political Jesus. Oh, I love political Jesus, because it's so funny. Whether it's Republican Jesus or Commiecrat Jesus or, you know, whatever. Jesus was a communist. She wanted everyone to share. Like, No. Jesus did, no, Jesus did not want an authoritarian government to distribute everything the way they saw fit. No, Jesus would have been a conservative. No, Jesus wouldn't have. If anything, he was a divine monarch. And what he said goes. 
Well, Jesus, Jesus was American. He Rambo Jesus. I'm proud to be an American girl. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with national pride. But when it trumps, that's, yeah, I forgot. That's a thing. (laughs) Didn't mean to go there. But when it trumps the allegiance you have to your home kingdom, the kingdom of God, heaven, that's when it becomes a problem. The Bible makes it very clear we're in this world and not of it, and that we are just sojourners here. When we understand that we have a, when we have a deep-rooted understanding of the fact that we're just here on a work visa, you know, in this earth, it's a lot easier to sit back and look at the political shenanigans that take place. I heard a guy, a commentator, uh, compare what happens in Washington nowadays to it's like Game of Thrones with Muppets. I mean, I've never, I've heard about Game of Thrones, never, you know, watched the show because, you know, not a sinner. Um, (laughs) I kid. Whatever your own your own uh, conviction is on that, but you know. It's like these characters that we see in politics. They're so exaggerated, they might as well be Muppets. At any moment, you're expecting Kermit to go across the Senate floor. Yay! So yeah, political Jesus. Jesus isn't vying for a political party. There may be some things in some political ideologies that may line up with the things that uh, the Bible prescribes. I've noticed nine times out of ten, that's not it. It's a bunch of people that have never read the Bible and don't know Jesus that are saying, ah, that's what Jesus would do. I want to go so much further on that, but I'm not going to because this is being recorded. Next, we have prosperity or poverty theology, theology Jesus. Both, uh, you'll notice one thing. Typically, the errors fall on the extremes of the spectrum. You know, God wants everybody to be rich and wants everyone to be healed and everyone to be this. Well, that's partially true. One day we all will be in heaven. God wants everyone to be poor. The Son of Man didn't have any place to lay his head. Yeah, but there were people in the church that had those places and he stayed there. It's not a sin to have provision. It's not a sin to have money. And it's not more virtuous to be poor. Because, frankly, there is the wicked rich, and then there is the the good rich, and then there's the wicked poor, and there's the good poor. There are some people that are poor because they just can't seem to get ahead. There are some people that are poor because they won't get off their butt. And there are some people that are rich because they've worked hard and God has blessed them. And there are some people that are rich because they peddle iniquity. And fallen man loves iniquity. Whenever somebody comes to me about one of these uh, prosperity preachers, and they're all like, well, obviously God's okay with them. Look, they're rich. Look, people follow them. 
I'm like, well, if you're going to use that line of logic, then uh, the guy who directs porn movies, who's eating steak and lobster for dinner, is highly favored of God. Wealth is not an indicator, and lack of problems is not an indicator of God's favor on you. The only indicator of God's favor on you is, are you his? Because there are going to be some of his that are rich and some that are poor. When you look at the book of Luke and the book of Acts, they were originally written as one long research study by uh, the physician Luke. And you'll see that he addresses a guy named Theophilus. Here's Luke, who was a physician who didn't have a lot of money, who loved Jesus, being funded by a guy who had a lot of money, who loved Jesus, and kingdom work got done. We're going to have both. It's not wealth and or lack thereof is not an indicator of God's favor. And the current cultural favorite, I don't think it's just current, actually. I think this has been a thing for a long time. The I'm okay with everything, Jesus. The uh, derogatory Jesus is my homeboy. You know? Because here's the thing. Jesus is our friend. But typically when people use that connotation of Jesus is my homeboy, it's the, oh, when I do something wrong, he's going to be like, ah, don't worry, I didn't see anything. (laughs) Ha! Yeah, I got you, man. Oh, you feel that way? That's good. I'm cool with it. I'm love. See, that's another reason why it's important to distinguish and understand the love that the Bible talks about. Because a lot of people will take what their understanding of love is and ascribe it to what Jesus taught. And that's not the truth. I remember, uh, I saw something online um, and somebody posted it because they were thinking it was like an aha, gotcha moment um, where there was a bunch of people standing with a sign saying that, you know, um, we shouldn't celebrate sin, um, turn and repent. And then there was this guy that came forward dressed as Jesus holding up a sign saying, I'm okay with it. No, Jesus isn't okay with sin. And the thing is, people create this false Jesus so that they don't feel bad about what they're doing at the time because deep down, the law of God is written on the hearts of every man. And we do things to appease our conscience, to sear it, to make it so to create justifications and do all sorts of mental gymnastics so we're like yeah we're okay with this God's okay with this too he's love we're all his children the truth is God's not okay with everything matter of fact God was so not okay with everything that he poured out horrible dreadful wrath and will again A lot of times people don't realize the chief thing that God saves us from is him. And that seems like it's a contradiction. You know, loving God, he's going to judge people? Yes, because he's also a just God. And this is a part that doesn't often get talked about, I don't think, enough in the American church. But the thing is, 
the same loving God who saves us and keeps us and conforms us into his image is the same God that is going to come back one day, pull a flaming sword from his mouth and decapitate his enemies. I'll never forget the moment that I came to the realization that Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. Though Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God of the Old Testament is the God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. So there's a, time, there's a dispensation of grace, there's a dispensation of mercy, where Jesus calls all of those who are his to himself. And there will become an end to that dispensation. It's, I, I was talking with a couple people that were talking about, uh, we were talking this week about, they were like uncomfortable with the concept of hell. And, you know, the Lord reminded me at that time that hell was never intended for humans. There's a couple of things that we don't handle well as humans. Death and hell. And it's because when we were originally built and originally programmed, the human was never, intentioned for, was never intended for death. And a human was never intended for hell. We were originally created for perfect communion with God. Our programming was, supposed, was for the garden. That's the reason why all we fallen humans find every single way that we can to try and cope with the awfulness that's before us in the world because deep down, we understand it's not supposed to be like this. People aren't supposed to sell other people like possessions. People aren't supposed to abuse others. People aren't supposed to steal from others. This world's not supposed to be an awful place. So we self-soothe in whatever way we possibly can. Some to drugs, some to food, some to sex, some to various other things. Pride, sports, uh, video games, you name it. Everybody will tend to gravitate towards something to soothe themselves because deep down, every single human has it within their programming that death, hell, and the grave were never intended for us. That's why you even feel sorrow when you hear about someone you didn't even know died. Deep down, you understand death is unnatural. I mean, it's, it's natural in that it's something that we face every day, but it was never part of the original intention. And that's why we hate it so. Hell was originally intended as a place of torment for those fallen angels who rebelled against God. It was designed for them. And Satan hates God because he wanted to be him, and he never could. And we know from the account of Jesus that Satan did try uh, a direct assault on the throne of God. And he says, I saw Satan fall like a bolt of lightning. It's like there was no war in heaven. There was, guys, let's get him. Ah, Done. Because God is God. God is sovereign. So when you want to hurt God and you can't do it in a direct assault, 
what's one other way that you can possibly do it? Take those creatures which he created to be the objects of his affection, the only other creatures in creation created in his own very image, and cause them to revile him, to hate him, to renounce him, and then we drag them to hell with us. Then we'll get them. That'll hurt the heart of God. That's what the satanic agenda is really about. I don't know why I went there completely, but uh, bonus. I guess it's to go like this. Satan, a lot of times people think Satan is interested in destroying them. Ultimately, it comes down to Satan is interested in trying to hurt God. And if he can do it by wrecking your life, getting you to go astray, he'll do it. If he can't, he'll move on to someone else where he can. All right, going back to what my notes said. To see the Jesus that's put forth in the scriptures, the ones that the apostles walked with, the ones that the one that he they testify to, for us to even recognize that Jesus is a miracle of God. And we can't see that Jesus without him making him known without God making him known to us. And the Spirit testifies to who Jesus is, and the Bible confirms it. And the way that I've seen the whole thing work out in my life is that the Scriptures put forth something that the Spirit testifies to, and then God confirms that which the Scripture puts forth. So whether it be with miracles, signs, wonders, those, that thing, which is, you know, whatever's taught from the pulpit, You'll have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of the scripture, and then God will actually bring it to pass. That's how it works. This brings me to my next point. Agape. Agape love is flowing in the supernatural. I used to be so enamored with the concept of when the altar call comes and the music's in the right key and everything's going right, that the spirit is moving. You know, people are being prayed for. All this, you know, we're flowing in the spirit. That may be true. But if it's not done out of the place of agape love, then it's just smoke and mirrors. See, this is, a very, this is a very good test for us. This is a very good indicator for us Christians. Very simple to do, um, I don't want to call it a salvation check, but to know if we're abiding in God. When we can love sacrificially, when we can give expecting nothing in return, when we can love other people like Jesus loves them, regardless of what they do, who they are, or what even they've done to us, we know we're abiding in Christ. Because that love doesn't come anywhere else but from God. 
I find this very good news because I am so mentally analytical that I can sometimes be like, well, you know, is this from going? And then uh, I'll take this and dimension this. It's really a simple test of if I'm walking in, if I'm walking in God, if I'm abiding in him, my life will look like Jesus. My love will look like Jesus. I go back to reemphasize that point. There is no human grit that can muster agape love. I remember uh, when I was in Bible school, there was a worship service where, uh, you know, they said the spirit of God was moving and the music was going just right. And, you know, the altar mystery was going on and I was back in the shadows playing acoustic guitar because the pretty Mexican guy was up front. And, uh, like, no, seriously, he was like Enrique Iglesias pretty. Like, he couldn't play guitar to save his life. But there he was up here, he was all like, yay. But I remember, I'll never forget, the, the guy who was the worship leader saying in the microphone, oh, the spirit of God's moving so heavy, I feel him so... He's so tangible in this place. He puts his microphone on mute, and then he turns and he screams at the other keyboard player, asking her, what the heck is wrong with you? It's not that hard. We're in the key of C. C, do you need me to draw it for you? (coughs) He belittles her right on stage. She literally starts crying. And then he has the gumption to get back on the microphone. Oh, the Spirit of God's moving on her. You, well, I didn't say something I can say from the microphone. (sighs) FYI, there were a lot of things I didn't know were swear words early on in my Christian faith. I went from hardcore atheist to, like, dirty, rotten, really good at atheism to Christianity real quick. So I had a lot to learn. Praise Jesus, because, yeah, especially walking around Bible Belt, Texas, talking like a, you know, Making literal sailors be like, dude, tame it down. I love Jesus. (laughs) You know, instead of shouting hallelujah, I'm like, nay, all right. Lucy can attest to it. She's like, this guy's the worst. All that having been said, the mark of anything being supernatural and flowing in the spirit is it'll have the characteristic of God's love in it. You can try to put up all the smoke and the mirrors and the curtains and walls that you want to, but the test to anything that's truly a work of God through the Holy Spirit is it's characterized by the unconditional agape love of God whether it be altar ministry or the conversations you're having with people behind closed doors, whether it's, you know, the budget you're planning with your spouse or how you're raising your kids. When you're flowing in the Holy Spirit, there is no other way that you can, you, you can explain the unconditional love of God that comes through you.
In conclusion, I want to start out with the fact that we all remember that the Apostle Paul wrote that the three greatest things were faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these was love. Because the love that we partake in as Christians is a love that no other humans on this earth will ever, experience, will ever get to experience. It's a privilege to experience receiving agape love and to be giving agape love. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that compares. It's the sign of a believer. There are different gifts that are given to all believers, you know, for the building up of the body of Christ. But the one thing that we all get as a mark that we can share with the world and our brothers and sisters is this agape love of God. Agape love is the evidence that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you ever doubt, am I even saved? Because there are times where people do. It's part of being human in this fallen world. Pray that the Lord show you those times he's moved through you in that unconditional love. You couldn't do that unless you were one of his. There's no way. I want to reemphasize the fact that it's important to know which Jesus we're looking to serve. And we can know this through the testimony of those who walked with him and raised up the early churches. It's It's not important to follow a Jesus. It's important that we follow the Jesus Christ the one that the Bible puts forth, the ones that the apostles testified to. It's, that's why it's important we continue in the teachings of the apostles, like the early church did. I'm a big proponent of the fact that the canon of scripture is closed. The canon is the technical theological term for the authoritative op- apostolic writings, you know, of the Bible. Big fan of that because we we can trust the testimony of those that saw him face to face. And people do make up other things, and there's a reason why God in his sovereignty didn't allow those things to end up in the scriptures. I think that there's minor revelation that still takes place in the church today. I think God still does talk to people. I think he gives them direct revelation for their lives, I think he gives them sometimes direct knowledge that they should share with others because of supernatural gifts. Does it weigh with the same authority as the scriptures? No. Because the scriptures is something that he compiled and assembled for his church to be able to stand on and use as a guidepost for when everything else makes no sense. Because there are going to be times when we're so troubled inside, we can't tell if we're hearing from God or if we're not. There are going to be times we have so much jumbled in our mind that we don't know if we're hearing straight or if we're thinking straight. And we've always got this this guidepost in the scriptures. And we'll look to the scriptures and the spirit will bear witness and God will confirm that which he's put forth. Then we get back on track. We're all going to have bad days and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We're going to be selfish. These are just parts of the human condition. 
we're not always going to be able to love perfectly because we're still being conformed progressively into the image of God. But the fact that we could ever, that could ever happen through us is evidence of the fact that he's there working in us. It's purely by the unmerited love and affection of God that we even know who Jesus is, that we know of his great love for us and of our salvation that's assured in him regardless of our performance. And he makes it very clear in the Bible to us that God will continue the good work which he started in us, that he's never going to leave us or forsake us, that those who are his, he won't lose even a single one. So I would encourage you guys during the week, as you live out your daily lives, pray that God use you to love others the way that he loves them and own the way that only he can and in the way that only his people can. Pray that God causes you to walk in that supernatural agape love towards others. There's nothing else in the world like it because it's not of this world. It's something completely absent from it apart from the church of Jesus Christ. That's why when we always say, well, let's be the hands and feet of God, we're the way that he outstretches his arms to the world. So we do need to serve others. We do need to love on others. Whether they be Christian or Buddhist or Muslim, it doesn't matter. Are, you gonna, are people going to take advantage of you? Yes. They took advantage of Jesus. And that's the hardest thing I think has, that's been there for me in the concept of walking agape love. You have to come to terms with the fact that you will be taken advantage of. There's a good chance that you'll be slandered there's even a good chance you'll be villainized. And these are things that we're all supposed to count as blessings because we're suffering in the same way that our Lord and Savior did. But I can tell you from experience and from the testimony of the apostles that went before us that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If the whole world should take advantage of you, but you should be able to experience the very supernatural love of God flowing through you, that love that is only from another world, it's all worth it. And it's through that that it confirms that we are, we are his. So I pray that as you do go forth this week that God rise up that agape love in you all for those of though your brothers and sisters in the church and for those around you, even for those who are complete and absolute jerks to you at work. Not that I'm speaking from experience. But um, that's all I have to share for this morning. Uh, thank you very much for coming out today.
Um, uh, we'll be here next week. Uh, Bible study on Wednesday here. 